morning, friends. So good to have you here with us on this uh, second Sunday in Lent. And uh, we are um, just grateful that you're here in this room and grateful that you are online with us uh, as we celebrate as a church community today uh, here at Crossroads Church of Ministry. So we say good morning to you. Um, if you're online, you'll probably get tired of hearing me saying this, but uh, we're going to receive communion together. And so if you haven't already done so, uh, to grab uh, yourself some bread or some crackers and some juice uh, so that you can celebrate this communion meal with us uh, just as we're doing uh, in the room. If you have any prayer requests, you can put those in uh, right there on Facebook, or you can, uh, if you're watching on YouTube or you're uh, watching later on this week, you can even send us an email at crossroads at ccmonline.org, and uh, we will pray with you throughout the week. Um, if uh, if you'd like to give online, you can do so at ccmonline.org slash give. And if you need any information about what's happening at Crossroads Church, you can go to ccmonline.org, or you you can always look at our Facebook page or Instagram uh, for the things that are coming up and uh, the awesome people in the office keep that stuff updated. So for our friends online, we say good morning to you. And Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter responded and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know how to reply, for they became terrified. And then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around and saw no one with them except Jesus alone. gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as given to Mark. Let us hear the words that you'll speak today, God, as our hearts are turned toward you. I invite you all to be seated here in the quiet. so much that we could preach about this passage of scripture. I mean, there's big words like skies opening, people being terrified, that there's white like no launderer can get it. Reminds me of our friends in Haiti. You can't believe how white they get their white shirts. They beat them against rocks. I mean, never, nary a white shirt in Calhoun County looks like the shirts in Haiti. And I think about what it must have been like to be on that mountain. And because I'm not giving you the spoken word in preaching this morning, 
I promise you I won't exegete in all the ways I'd like to. Because I've listened um, to this passage. Scott and I have had several hours of conversation around transfiguration. And the one thing that I want to just say to us as we get ready for communion is, let's just be open to an encounter with God. You know, we could talk about all these things and miss the point. And the point is that when we come together with Jesus, something happens in us. And we have so many beautiful ways that we can encounter Jesus. We invite you to the table in the back where there's resources for you. I added today Doug Worst's book, The Suffering Servant, which is a beautiful reflection all the way up to Easter. And I love these things that we can think about. But I have to be honest with you, friends, if we're relying on our thinking, it will only take us so far. Because someone else will have another thought. But if you have an encounter with God, nobody can take that away from you. And so, can we practice our faith today and take communion in a way where we expect to have an encounter with God in simple elements of bread and juice? We don't use wine anymore. I have a problem with that, but it's okay. (laughs) Juice, wine, water, coffee, donuts, bread. Whether you eat or drink, do everything in the name of the Lord. And so this morning, I want to take communion in the name of Jesus and encounter the one who made the wheat and the grape, the one who calls us beloved. We started Lent last week with hearing Jesus called beloved coming out of the desert. Now we hear Jesus called beloved on the mountaintop. Wherever you are today, friends, whether you feel like you're in the wilderness or on the mountain, let's encounter Jesus. Let's pray together. We're so grateful that we don't need to be terrified of encountering you. But we do want to be awestruck. We do want to expect you in the wilderness and on the mountaintop. We want to expect you today, God, wherever we are, each one carrying their story as they come and take the bread and juice They're bringing their story to you. And may bread and stories, wine and bread, people looking into one another's eyes, may there be a healing flow in this place. Spirit, soul, and body, we need you, Jesus, here. Amen. You're welcome to come up front or to go to the back for your own self-serve communion. Well, my friends, as you're saying good morning to everybody, and you do not have to stop. Let's get ready for our kids uh, to go up to Kids Church. Uh, and as we do that, uh, let's prepare our hearts to give into the offering if you're able today.
Uh, and you can give in the baskets or, or up front, or you can give online as always. But let's pray together for our offering, and let's pray together to bless our kids as they get ready to go upstairs with their teachers. God, thank you so much for this community that we have together. Thank you for the things that we're doing uh, to bless our community and our world together that we do through these tithes and offerings. And so we give into this offering, God, just uh, with expectation of the amazing things you'll do and with joyful hearts today. And we say thank you for the ability to give. And for those who aren't able, God, we pray that you bless them, bless their finances, God, bless their homes, uh, and God, bless everything that they need this day. And God, we pray for our kids and we pray that you prepare their hearts to experience your love, your goodness, and to experience the mystery of who you are today. God, we thank you that you're not unknowable, but you are endlessly knowable. And let our kids experience that mystery and that goodness and that love today. And so we pray these things today. We receive this offering and we... We just prepare our kids to head on upstairs to their class. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray together. We all say together, Amen. Good morning. Thank you so much. Um, I have been enjoying this Sunday a lot. <laughs> um, so good to be with all of you. I was telling Kelly, like 15 people have offered to help me this morning. And I don't know about you, but I need Sunday morning where there are people who offer to hold my baby when my husband can't be at church. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of this community with you all this morning. Thanks for helping me to take courage again. I loved that, right? Take courage again. Like, I did it yesterday, and I need to do it again. But it's easier with all of you here with me. Um, so I'm just going to share a few opportunities of ways to get involved this next month or so. Um, first of all, welcome. If you're new here, we're so glad you're here. We would love to connect with you, hear your story. Um, there's going to be someone at the Next Steps kiosk at the end of the service today who would love to talk with you. Or you can follow this QR code um, and take kind of an online survey. If you're not ready to talk to someone yet or if you're online, it can help familiarize you. And if you leave contact information, I or somebody else on our pastoral staff would love to reach out to and get to know you. Um, and after church today, if anybody's interested, we're launching a new Bible study that Teshna will be leading. Yay! Hosted by Cultural Connections. Um, it's called The People, A Place, and A Just Society. Um, it's a resource put together by Arabon, which is led by David Bailey, who came here and preached a couple years ago. Um, and it's really digging into scripture to say, what does scripture have to say about people, places, just societies, reconciliation, how to live in peace and shalom with one another. So if that's something you're interested, it's a daily Bible study where we're going to be in a group on an app. Um, and then we're going to meet monthly to have some conversations both online and in the cafe after church. So if you're interested, you don't have to prepare to come today. Um, we're going to help you download everything, make sure you're all set. And we Tashna troubleshooted it with us. We did it ourselves and it was hard. So come and join us. <laughs> and then also today at the end of the service, um, if you're interested, we have a Lent resource table at the back. Lent is the six weeks leading up to Easter where we really engage with the reality, um, the ministry, the suffering of Christ. Um, and we get to take a look at our own lives by simplifying and peeling back some layers. And I just want to highlight a couple of things. Claire mentioned Doug Worth's devotional. And um, Samuel Marks also wrote a devotional specifically for the lectionary passages this Lent. 
Um, and the cool thing about him is he takes all three of the passages for a week. We usually look at just one in the service, and he kind of expands um, from what we're already learning in the service, which is awesome. Um, so it, this week's is especially good, so it's not too late to take one if you didn't get one last week. And um, I just love that that resource pa- table has mostly stuff that's made by people in our church. Right, We could take a bunch of Lent resources from all over the place. Thousands of people have made them. Um, but people in our congregation are making these things, and you can go have a conversation with them about them. Um, and we would encourage you to do that as well. And then we are headed towards Holy Week on this journey of Lent, and we have decided that our Good Friday service is going to be at 7 p.m. And we want to um, let you know that we're walking the labyrinth, um, and we have these images that we reflect on as we walk. Um, and so if... You need to be a little bit able to walk like a mile or so. It does take a little bit of time, but it's such a holy opportunity to walk into the sunset together um, as we head into um, Good Friday and then Easter. And my last announcement is that youth group will be this Friday. Um, Come hang out with us in the student stadium. Um, It's always a good time. And if you have middle schoolers or high schoolers, they're all welcome to join us. So thank you. And Pastor Scott, it's you. Yeah. Yeah, let's hear it for Hannah, just because she's wonderful. (laughs) I felt deprived when you started talking about the baby being shared. I didn't get any opportunity. How should those of us that didn't get a chance? I don't know how to take that. Anyway, good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are off to a good start this morning. Um, As we said last week... um, we're in a series called Now and Not Yet, and uh, we're doing some parallel things with the kids upstairs to try to help families uh, travel these days up to uh, Easter well together and have some things to talk about. I, I really kind of am enjoying this week as well because uh, this is one of those weeks the kids upstairs are talking about uh, fully God and fully man, and I f- just feel like, well... Have fun with that to the kids. Uh, And then we're going to talk about um, the transfiguration on top of that. So let's jump right in so we can maybe have some fun and some challenge at this end. And maybe the kids can teach us what they learned and it'll probably be much better. But here we go. We've got to fill some time on our end. Matthew chapter 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Don't know what mountain this is, there's assumptions made, but uh, it's a high mountain, we know. So they do this walk up a mountain, and it was there he was transfigured before him. So transfigured, uh, simply Uh, comes from the same root word in Greek that would mean changed. So he changed or transformed, transfigured before them. Jesus changed before them. Uh, His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Now I want to just give you a couple of things as we go through because this is one of those scriptures some of you have just intentionally avoided. Uh, because there's so much in it that it's like, how does this make sense? And there's a lot of mystery around it, right? And there's a lot of opinions on what all this means. But there's some things for certain that we can pull out. And there's certainly lessons in here for us, no doubt about it. So Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. This is 
um, a nod. Now, understand this, James, uh, Peter, and John, they're Jewish, so they understand like the Old Testament scriptures. That's what the scriptures were at that point. They have a very clear understanding of that. This scripture is actually out of Daniel 7, this reference. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. It's a nod to chapter 7 of Daniel, which describes God as the ancient of days. So what's beginning to happen is there's this connection. They're beginning to realize the connectedness, the prophetic connectedness of um, Jesus' life with being actually God here. This is what's occurring. Just then it appeared, they, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus, and the general assumption is this is a picture. How they know this is Moses and Elijah, um, we don't know, but somehow they know. Maybe Jesus tells them, or maybe they introduce themselves, but we don't know uh, because they don't have a trading card of Moses and Elijah. There's no picture in their living room. Uh, there might have been a picture in their living room of Moses and Elijah, but we know that that's probably not accurate, like the pictures of Jesus we have, uh, because he didn't come from Scandinavia. Anyway, um, so so anyway, this is all happening. It's amazing. They're having this awesome moment on the top of the mountain. Verse 4, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Sometimes it's just good to be quiet. Um, But that's hard for Peter and for some of us. But at least Peter, uh, at this point, and then he says this, he says, If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Uh, So what we see here with Peter, a a chapter earlier, a little earlier, is the portion of Scripture where Peter uh, tells Jesus that he's the Messiah, And then Jesus affirms Peter and says, only God the Father could have given you this information. So Peter's not, um, somehow he's communicating with God the Father. might be through the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Godhead. Um, But in that previous portion of Scripture in Matthew 16 is where Jesus uh, kind of rebuts at a certain point because he says, I've got to go to the cross essentially and then he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Um, and it's more, it's, it's bigger than that. And Matt, uh, Samuel's devotional actually delves into that. So I'm not going to talk about that. You can read more in Samuel's wonderful devotional. But at that point, he wants to just uh, be resisting Jesus. At this point, with this all starting to happen, you see this growth that's already happened in Peter over the time, we're not sure how much time, but over the time in our view of a chapter or so, a little bit of time, he's now, his, he's got a heart shift. Whatever you want, essentially, he says. And then he says, I'll put up three shelters. That's, again, a reference to the Old Testament. It's what Peter knew. Uh, shelters and the tabernacle. It's a reference that actually that word there, shelters, is literally tent. The Old Testament, there were these places, tent, tent of meeting. There was the tabernacle, which was a tent at one point. And they, he's referring back to it, essentially saying, let's just stay here. Let's camp out. This is awesome, right? And um, then I love this. Uh, it says in verse 5, it says, we'll make one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It'll be really cool. It'll be a great camp out. 
Um, and then verse 5, it says, while he was still speaking, Peter, so God now cuts Peter off. I mean, if you're going to get cut off in a conversation by anyone, let it be God, right? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. Again, another reference that we see throughout Scripture to uh, this, this cloud reference is this consistent pattern we see throughout Scripture, and maybe you've seen it in your own life, where you have a hard time describing certain things. Sometimes maybe it's like a cloud. Sometimes maybe it literally is a cloud. But throughout Scripture, whenever God's, or at times when God's glory would be tangible, God's presence would be tangible, God's goodness would be tangible, there would be this cloud that would show up. And then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Interesting uh, that at this point, all the direction is removed from Elijah and Moses and goes on to Jesus. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground. They were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up. This is the first thing he says after God says, the Godhead says, listen to him. Get up and do not be afraid. This really is where the rubber meets the road in our relationship with, uh, with Jesus, with God, is first of all, God is trying to help us with our fear. Whatever it may be, God meets us in that place. That's why there's that consistent refrain. We've probably all heard that the most uh, commonly used phrase by God, by Jesus toward people, is to not be afraid, right? And there's a reason for it, because it's at this place where uh, the core of warfare goes on in our life spiritually against the enemy and the systems of the world is fear, so it's a good question just to ask, what are you maybe afraid of today? So the first thing that Jesus does with them is begins to help them with their fear. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus, because that's ultimately what happens, right? When all is said and done, we're not looking for anything else. We're not looking for priests and prophets. We're not looking for lawgivers. We're looking for Jesus. And there's Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is a defining moment in the life of Jesus and certainly in the life of uh, John, James, and Peter, and certainly in our lives if we can pay attention well enough to it. Um, but this really is one of those scriptures that there's just, there's a, so much mystery to it. And have you ever felt like uh, there's some scriptures you read and you're thinking, I only have so much time. And uh, that scripture, there's a lot I don't understand. So I'm just going to jump to the next thing, right? Uh, I read a great uh, article, heard a talk actually by Nadia Bowles Weber from a couple years ago, and I want to just say this, it's actually about the transfiguration. I love what she said because it can feel this way sometimes, some stories in the scripture, right? 
This is what she says. I know it's not the best form to say not nice things about Bible texts, but if you made me choose one story from the Gospels that I find least useful, it would be this one. Especially this Sunday. It's year three of a global pandemic. Russia is invading a neighboring democracy, and so many of our kids are struggling with mental health. So basically, what do I care that Peter, James, and John witnessed some magic stuff on a mountain? Like, I have no idea what the real-life application is here. Not to mention, when Peter says it is good for us to be here, it just feels like the spiritual version of putting your Paris vacation on Instagram. (laughs) Like, I imagine Peter with a selfie stick being like, Hey, Moses, just move a little closer to Elijah. Then posting it on social media with a caption that says, OMG, so fangirling on this mountain. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag, it's good for us to be here. So yeah, good for you, Peter, she says. You got to see the most awe-inspiring thing ever. Jesus transfigured on a mountain, having a little chat with the biggest spiritual rock stars of all time before God literally spoke out of a cloud. A few guys witnessed the cloud of unknowing, the ineffable transcendence of God. They saw a moment of holiness no one has, but what about the rest of us? How do we even start to reach those kinds of heights? Because we are here in the valley of the shadows of real life. The closest I got to experiencing awe and wonder this week was 30 minutes of yoga and buying a few new snacks at Trader Joe's or family fair. Anyway, we, we like to edit, don't we? We like to avoid and edit. But the scripture really wants to form us and help us. I I just love her honesty there. Uh, So we either edit by avoiding or we edit by adding. You ever notice there's a lot of adding to the Bible? We add to the Bible what we want or what sounds good or might seem more comforting than the actual scriptures. Most of the editing that we add to the Bible are portions of scripture, just a partial scripture, and then people add extra things. I found a handful of those things, those edits... Like, here's one that's not... These are things that are not in the Bible. Uh, In the olden days, they would say, close, but no cigar. And that was a carnival term, because they would give out cigars. I don't know if they gave them to kids, but they they probably did back then. Back in the early 1900s, if you won the game, you'd get a cigar. So, close, but no cigar on these scripture references that aren't really scriptures. Here's one. God won't give you more than you can handle says, and I'll give you the authors as far as I know, says the three people in history that this was true for. Because I don't know about you, but I've been given a lot more than I can handle. I can think of times in the last couple of weeks that I've said, you know what, God, this is your territory. This is not something I can do without your help. Here's one. Uh, God helps those that help themselves. It's not in the Bible, but it did uh, come from your grandma. Anyway, here's another one. If God closes a door, he'll open a window. That was Dallas Home in the 1980s. It was a song. If If you're old enough. If God closes a door, he'll look for a window. Ah. Anyway, here's one exactly like that. This one. To thine own self be true. That's Shakespeare. Follow your heart. 
<laughs> Actually, the Bible says your heart is deceitful above all else, but following your heart is just a partial way. We do believe in following your heart, but you have these, uh, you have this, you are a tripartite being. We think that you have these checks and balances naturally that God has created you with. It's called a head, a heart, and a gut. So if you're just letting your heart rule everything, that's problematic. Um, Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's a popular non-Bible scripture. Uh, That was written by a guy named Samuel Butler in the 1800s. It was a satirical poem. It, It first occurred in a satirical poem called Hudibras. So you can see, if you check these, you can see there's like a portion of this that might be reality. Money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that, but your employer said that the last time you asked for a raise. Uh, Here's a good one. God don't do ugly. I wasn't sure about this. This was either Medea, a plastic surgeon, a fashion designer, or a politician. I'm not sure which one. God don't do ugly. I think they just kind of passed that one around. Cleanliness is next to godliness. First one to say that that we know of, Sir Francis Bacon, but John Wesley really entrenched it in our thinking. That God won't hunt, or that dog won't hunt, and that dog will hunt. That was first quoted by anyone south of the Mason-Dixon line. God hates sin but loves the sinner. You'll be surprised by this one. That's attributed to Gandhi. A penny saved is a penny earned, Ben Franklin. And here's my favorite of all, out of the book of Retaliation 1-1, do unto others as they have done unto you. Not in the Bible. So in the midst of all of the many scholarly approaches, the brilliant opinions on the transfiguration, let's see what we can benefit from here. There are some really beautiful questions that we can find, some emerging questions, some that I think if we just pay a little bit of attention, they're really important questions or important invitations. The first one is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? I love that we were just singing, wouldn't it be like you to be different than we thought, but better, because that's what's occurring in the scripture. Peter, James, and John go up to a mountaintop, and all of their religious thoughts up till that point, their training, their perceptions, their philosophy of life, their dreams, their ambitions, their pursuits, are met in a new, fresh way on that mountain. Because what they thought of Jesus is now different. It is now affirmed that Jesus actually is God. It's not theory. It's not an opinion. And everything they thought has now changed. Jesus is on full display as fully man and fully God. And it's a huge shock to the system for them in a good way, and it should be a shock to us. This is the place where everything changes. There's a radical shift in their worldview, and there should be a radical shift in our worldview in these moments. You cannot remain the same once you come to a place where you wrestle with who Jesus really is. 
This doesn't fit into their theological categories. Uh, it doesn't fit into their. Uh, it doesn't fit into the way they have thought about life. And the, there's only two choices: you either deny it, or you embrace it. Is Jesus more than just a great teacher? Is Jesus more than just a great rabbi? Is Jesus more than all of these things that we've thought? A social leader, someone that was compassionate. Was Jesus simply kind of a Jesus gump? Or is he God? Does Jesus just show up suddenly in all of these remarkable spaces and just happens to have these awesome things happen around him? Is it just happenstance? Or is Jesus God? I remember for the first 18 years of my life, uh, I... This was pre-Forrest Gump, but I remember accepting a lot about Jesus, believing a lot about Jesus. And then there was this moment where it was like, I am just kidding myself. To think that Jesus isn't everything that Jesus claims to be. And I had to face the reality of my own life. If Jesus is fully human and fully divine, it changes everything. He is, and this is what they're faced with, and why the Daniel 7 reference is so powerful here, he literally is the Ancient of Days. It's at that place they realize it. Far more than a revolutionary, far more than a prophet, far more than a lawgiver, far more than a socio-political messiah, If he is all that and more, fully human and fully divine, it changes everything, not only about their life, not only about your life, but about everybody's life in history. So what do we do about that? The question should remain central throughout our journey, this question, who is Jesus to you? And that's a good question to ask today because This should always seem different. This is what transformation in our life is about. One of the things I find so powerful about this is there's three people that Jesus invites to go up the mountain. I think very intentionally it's three people that are ready to have that occurrence on the top of the mountain. He doesn't do this at one of the sermons on the mount where there's thousands of people around or where he's feeding thousands of people. He's not doing it with huge crowds. He specifically takes three people. Three people that are ready for what is about to occur. And he lets them have this encounter because they have gone through enough transformation that they could handle the very presence of God in this way. Because they've been asking the question, who is Jesus? Think about that question in your own life and how you may have asked that five years ago or ten years ago, depending on how old you are. Think back 20 years ago. 
And is that question answered the same way today as it was back then? I don't think so. It it brings up another question. Is the biggest issue that Jesus changes, or is it simply that Peter, James, and John are able to see Jesus differently? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and perhaps finally they can handle the manifestation of another side of Jesus. How much of that can you handle? Paul says it this way in Philippians. He says, not that I've already grasped it all or I've already become perfect, but I press on if I may also take hold of that for which I'm even taking hold of by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't regard myself as taking hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm busy transforming and allowing God, I'm asking the question, who is Jesus in my life and allowing that transformation to happen? The Jesus I knew at the beginning of transformation is or transfiguration is not the same as the Jesus I know after some years of transformation and transfiguration experiences. The Jesus I knew at 30 is not the Jesus I knew at 40, is not the Jesus I know at 50, is not the Jesus I know at 61. It's all still in there, but I know more of Jesus. Does this make sense? And I, it's not as much as the Jesus I have yet to encounter in the next season. Claire and I joke around, and, but it's true. Um, you know, somebody's asked, they've asked us before, like, why don't you just keep your talks up for longer? You know, why don't you just leave them up there? It's like, because transformation, transfiguration, like there's talks and conversations that we had 30 years ago and the church started weren't necessarily wrong. But it's like we realize we, we made some of the minor things the major things and the major things the minor things because we see Jesus different now. It's, it, was, it was an incomplete view, still is an incomplete view, but it's a lot more full view. So as we go on, as we transform and we're in, in God's presence in these transfiguration moments... It's like, I feel like I need to, I'll apologize, I've apologized before, I'll do it again. Claire and I have apologized. We're sorry for when we've majored on the minors and minored on the majors. We're sorry. And in 30 years, I hope that if I'm still breathing and up here, I'll be saying I'm sorry for today for what I'm saying. Because it'll be different. It won't be wrong to write. It's more full. Which brings up the next question. Are you listening? The kind of the climax of this portion of scripture is where God, through the clouds, it says, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now this isn't the first time that we see God saying that he's pleased with Jesus the Son. We see it at the baptism, as Claire mentioned earlier. Apparently Peter uh, somehow heard this previous uh, in some way because he knew it in a conversation. He said, you're the Son of God. 
But now it literally comes out, it's a different kind of listening. He says, listen, listen to him. Cal Newport in his book called Deep Work writes about uh, work. Uh, and it's, it's a great book. And he talks about two different types of work. And he says, for most people, there's the part of your work that is essential. Email, phone calls, staff meetings, those types of things. Um, it's not the kind of work that changes the world, but it's essential work. It's an essential part of what you do. Whatever work you have, you have that part of your work. But then there's what he calls the deep work. It's the part of the work where creativity happens, where your imagination is focused. And you begin to enter into this place of flow where things start to happen. And it's creative and it's powerful And it requires space and direction in order to get that. In the same way, this is kind of what God the Father is saying. Listen to Jesus. So in other words, like with prayer, and this, this really is, listening is really kind of the culmination of all spiritual practices, isn't it? When you think about spiritual practices, ultimately they all bring us back to this place. Listening and paying attention to what Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit have to say to us, right? In the same way, prayer, we've got prayer that is kind of quick at times, devotional. You might hear podcasts on prayer. There's those things. You may do devotionals. It's all good, all important, essential part of our maturing in Christ. But then this seems to be more this slow down and quiet yourself. Quiet your soul and make space for the flow of God. Be transfigured by the presence of God. Listening is also uh, a form of waiting. There's listening as waiting. Uh, In other words, intimacy with God cannot be rushed. We need to slow down, and this may be one of our hardest challenges in the age that we live in, the digital age we live in, and we need to help not only ourselves but our children with this because we are all very programmed for quick answers. But prayer at its very foundation is relational, and time is required with relationship. Just this setting aside space. Claire and I were driving in the car yesterday, and this happens often to us. Um, and we we talk. Uh, Claire would probably say, kind of, she feels like it's too much talking sometimes. And maybe there's times where I feel like that too. But yesterday we were in the car coming home from Grand Rapids, and for about 45 minutes to an hour, like neither one of us said anything. And in the middle of that, and that happens when we're, especially when we're in the car, we're in the car a lot driving. And sometimes it's just good to be with one another. Just to feel one another's presence. Just to feel loved by Claire, and I'm sure, I hope for sure, she's feeling loved by me just by being quiet together. 
Mother Teresa was interviewed by Dan Rather back in the late 90s. And one of the questions he uh, asked her was about prayer. And he said, so in prayer, what do you say to God? She said, I don't say anything. I listen. And he kind of shrugged and said, well, okay, well, what does God say to you? And she said, he doesn't say anything. He listens. And she went on to say, and if you can't understand that, I can't explain it to you. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross called this presence, they called it silent love. When you can feel the love of God and express love to God without having to use words, just presence. Words are great, words are important, but we also need space just to be. And lastly, listening is yielding. When, when God makes this comment to listen to Jesus, to listen to the Son, this, this, the phrase there, listen to him, is a phrase that literally means pay attention and obey. So maybe a lot of you, those of you that have had small children, that have had children when they were small perhaps, uh, when you would tell them, listen to me, what you weren't saying is literally just listen to me. You were saying, listen to me and then do what I'm asking you to do or learn from what I'm saying to you. And this is what is being said here. Listen to Jesus and then obey. Pay attention to what the instructions are and then follow through with obedience. So I want to ask Claire to come on up and she was going to lead us in a listening exercise. Well, I was going to lead you in a listening exercise, but then Charles came up and I listened to him. And he has a word for the congregation that God spoke to him and feel like this is what we need to listen to and leave with is the gift of, of this word. And so just posture yourself, put all your stuff down, take a breath. And, you know, the beautiful thing about um, believing that God actually speaks is that um, when someone comes and says something to you, sometimes you hear God in a different way than you anticipated you were going to be listening to God at the very end. So... Let's just open our hearts, and maybe you want to soften your gaze or close your eyes, lift your head, bow your head, however, and hear this word. So as we were worshiping earlier, I started to look across the congregation and I said, I want, to, I want to see what I see the way Jesus sees everybody that's here. And when I did that, when I said that, this came to me. Jesus says, I see you. Take this personally. Just take this personally as I say it. 
Jesus says, I see you. I know you. You are my beloved. Look to me and believe and receive, and you will be transformed. God bless you.